Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Bianca Marie, who will be sharing the story of her daughter's birth. While the birth itself was what she expected, working with unprofessional hospital staff was something she and her fiance hadn't thought much about. We have discussed many times on the podcast the role other individuals' energy can have on your birth experience, and her story sheds a light on that. So hello, Bianca. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yes. Of course, of course, of course. So Bianca, can you start off just telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Um, So I am in the Maryland area, DMV area. And I've been here for a number of years. My background is actually in public health, um, from everything from women's studies, an undergraduate degree, and then two other degrees, um, also in public health and working on my doctorate. So women's health, um, policies, um, mandates, government things, government issues, all of that has been my background since day one and what I've committed my life to. Um, specifically um, helping with health disparities. Um, I was, I learned about health disparities and knew about health disparities and the impact of health disparities where I even knew what health disparities were. And that was one of the reasons why I got into public health is seeing my grandmothers um, from the South, from South Carolina, seeing my grandmother struggle with their health and face realities that they didn't necessarily need to face or have, but had to face due to their environment and their situations and the limitations that were put on them. So that's why I've always committed my entire career to this line of work. And most recently, um, after my daughter's birth, I said, I got to do this doula thing, the doula thing. <laughs> And so my family, as my fiance and I, and then we have two children, um, my bonus son, I don't like to say stepson, my bonus son is now 11, and my daughter, who is two years old. Wonderful. And yes, doctorate. Yes. <laughs> I said it's going to be my last degree I'm going to get. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Got it. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? How was that? What did that um, look like for you? Yeah, so I was very blessed, very fortunate with my pregnancy. Um, For a number of years, um, from endometriosis and some other things, I um, we struggled getting pregnant for a number of years or so. Um, After many different therapies, many different trying, different things. Doctors told us didn't know why I couldn't get pregnant, but just couldn't. And so getting pregnant with my daughter was a surprise, but it was a welcome surprise, absolutely. Um, And my entire pregnancy was, I I couldn't have asked for a better pregnancy. It was one where um, even my cravings, I craved salads and fruits. I didn't want any sugar. I didn't want... Um, potato chips. I didn't want chocolate. I didn't want ice cream and all those sort of things that you hear, you know, many pregnant women um, have cravings for. It was a healthy, fantastic pregnancy the entire way. So very, very fortunate. So how did you prepare for your pregnancy? And was it something that you were thinking about along the way? Or did yeah. kind of come in place? So myself, I am a big believer in self-care. And so I already had my own self-care practices in play. Um, I took them up a notch when I got pregnant, but then I did a lot of research into like meditation and things. And so throughout my entire pregnancy, one of the self-care routines or rituals that I did was uh, pretty much every evening I meditated and I listen to soft music of different styles, um, some classical, some other things, sometimes just waterfalls. And I also would put the headset on my belly and throughout my entire pregnancy, as well as um, it was just a very calming, it was a it way for me to release the day and to relax and co- to connect with my daughter. And so I know from day one, we bonded and she really, to this day, she's my mini me. She's my shadow. Every step I take, she takes. And I do believe that um, being intentional when I was pregnant to connect with her and to relax helped. And um, even when she would go get her first shots when she was a baby, um, the nurses and the, the workers would 
would grapple this and she's so calm she was so relaxed I said oh, yeah because we've been meditating since day one <laughs> so I think that helped and I was um, like I said eating was um, not a chore for me so I did eat pretty healthy and clean which was very good and I think that helps I didn't have diabetes or any other sort of illness or anything any other condition that I had to address um, but one of the things that also I did when I uh, was pregnant and helped was um, water aerobics. I was in a pool at least three, four times a week. Um, sometimes the pool in my community, sometimes the pool at the um, gym down the street from my job. I was always in the water because it helped. It helped. Um, it was just fun, one. Um, but then it was, you know, great exercise when you're pregnant because it doesn't harm your joints. It's very easy on your joints and things like that. And so throughout my entire pregnancy, I tried to be intentional with my emotions, my thoughts, my plans. I'm a planner, totally type A. I have in just by trade, my career also, I'm a project manager. So I had my plan A, my plan B, and my plan C. Um, but I didn't take, I didn't let that overwhelm me. And so I think that helped with me remaining calm and just going with the flow throughout my entire pregnancy. And it helped. And I do believe that helped um, form or shape my daughter's personality because she is the most calm two-year-old. I mean, she has her tantrum, her, you know, tantrum from time to time, but she's pretty calm and um, it was just a great pregnancy. I, I couldn't have asked for a better one. You sound like the poster child for all the births that I, I <laughs> right? want all the families that I want to work with. Yes. You just take that eyes. snippet and be like, listen to this. <laughs> this is what awesome. we want you to do. <laughs> yes. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I, because part of it was I, you know, my background in health disparities and knowing about stress and about, you know, we kill ourselves with what we eat and those sorts of things. So um, I think it was just a time where it was just a pivotal time with a lot of things that, you know, I knew in my head, um, I was just able to implement in practice. And it, it was lovely. It was lovely. <laughs> um, so can you tell us how your birth went? Tell us your birth experience. Yeah. So um, at the time I was working with the federal government um, um, and still do. And I love my job. Very, um, very robust, very intense uh, managing a $3.2 billion IT portfolio. And so when I was pregnant, I was just along my merry way of working. And uh, probably that weekend before, I was having cramps and the cramps didn't feel any different from your regular menstrual cramps, you know, and this is coming from having um, endometriosis and, you know, years of all sorts of different conditions and things. And so when I say the cramps were mild, I mean, they were mild. I didn't have to like stop. They didn't take my breath away. I didn't have to bend over. Like it was nothing of that nature. And so one of the things that I do, I am a self-proclaimed, I do admit it, I'm a shopaholic. And so that particular day, I remember I did my regular errands, ran to the store, and then I was like, you know, I feel like having a cute outfit this week. I'm going to get me a new outfit. So I ran to the store. I'm in the fit room trying on and still cramping. But, you know, when you're pregnant. You, your, your pains are everywhere you know it's nothing new to have a tinge or a little push or something different so nothing um felt out of the ordinary so fast forward I got home and um I was telling my fiance and my sister also lives in the area she was there in my house too and I was like y'all I'm kind of cramping and my sister's like oh well you need to sit down somewhere then because she knows me and I'm gonna be doing all sorts of things and I said well you know, I'll sit down a little bit later, but we got some things to do. So I, you know, um, that nesting period was on me. Um, and this is almost six weeks, about five and a half weeks before my um, due date. Um, but I said, you know what, I went and got some, you know, in addition to my outfit, I got some cute things for the nursery and things. So I asked my sister to help me with that. And we were just talking and setting things up. And then um, my fiance was put I said put the car seat in the car and he's like oh we got time for that I said put the car seat in the cars um and so we have um 
three cars and so he was putting the car seats he was putting them all together and I said you know I'm kind of tired and my sister said well like I told you sit down somewhere and so long story short we had a long day ate dinner went to bed totally fine and then probably about four o'clock or so the next morning I went to the restroom and I just felt like a rush like a real drain like when I you know um, TMI but when I went to the restroom um, nothing was unusual no blood or anything like that and so I said you know something just told me it wasn't something it was the Holy Spirit something just told me let me reach out to my doctor my physician um, Obi was wonderful he is like um, if you can think of um, like your grandfather that you respect and that you love and he's like a no-nonsense kind of guy um, but we had a great rapport a great relationship I mean to the point where you know if you gained a couple pounds you you, you go in there you didn't want to you don't want to go to your next doctor point because you know he was gonna tell you something just like a grandfather um, so I but so I say all that to say he's booked always book like don't miss your appointments because you're not going to be able to get an appointment right away with them you'll get with another ob or physician in the practice but not with him so i went online four o'clock in the morning and i actually saw an appointment for that same day i said oh my god you know my entire pregnancy i haven't been able to get an appointment that quick so i booked it and you know went back to bed woke up wasn't cramping anymore went to work at my full day of meetings and things. Um, so I drove myself to work. Um, and then my appointment, I think, was like around 11 o'clock or so. And so um, I drove myself to my doctor's appointment. It was like 10 minutes from my office. And I told my team before I left, I said, you know, I'll probably be back around 1 o'clock-ish or so, you know, just do a long lunch and then I'll be back. So get to the doctor's office and my doctor's like how you doing and i'm telling you know i had cramps a couple days and you know but i'm fine i feel good you know not having any other pains or anything like that and he's like okay well let me check you so we're he's checking me we're talking about the weather you're talking about um sports you're talking about everything you know under the sun and i um one of the things that i asked him i said you know you're usually not this talkative what's going on? Like you checking me and you asking me, I was like, what's, what's going on? Cause again, this is the type of relationship we had, you know, he's like granddaddy. And he's like, well, what you got planned for today? I say, um, you need to hurry up because I got to get back to the office. You know, I got a one o'clock meeting I got to get to. And he said, mm, no, you're on your way to the hospital. I said, what? <laughs> what? And so I said, I don't got time for that. I said, why would I go to the hospital right now? He said, uh, you need to call Eric. My fiance. said, he was like, you need to call Eric. He's going to meet you at the hospital. I said, oh, Eric, uh, he's in the office about an hour away. I'm like, we, got, we don't have time for that. I got to go to the office. I got to get back to work. Like, I'm totally not in the mindset that I actually need to go to the hospital. I'm in <laughs> denial. And, you know, and he's telling me things, but he's not telling me things. So then I'm getting worried. I'm like, why didn't that tell me? Why do I have to go to the hospital? I say, are you going with me to the hospital? He's like, nope. I got all my patients today. And so I'm like, you know, wait a minute, you know, six weeks out, what's going on? So long story short, then I said, well, I'll drive myself to the hospital and I drove myself to work. I drove myself here. He's like, no, <laughs> you're going to be right. He said, you got, he said, you got two options. You're going to call Eric, and he's going to take it to the hospital, or we're putting you in an ambulance. He said, we're, his words were, we're putting your stubborn behind in the ambulance and taking you to the hospital. So which one are you going to do? And I said, okay, fine. Okay, fine. I'll call Eric, and Eric comes right away. Um, and then the, the closest hospital, and again, remember, I am totally type A. I have my plans. The hospital that I was going to give birth in, again, I'm not even sure why I'm going to the hospital. But the hospital that I like, the hospital that I did, you know, the tour of the maternity ward, the hospital where I talked to some nurses I felt comfortable in, that hospital was not close <laughs> to my office or to the doctor's office. And um, there was a closer hospital. And so I go back and forth with my doctor and then I go back and forth with Eric and I'm like, well, should we go to the hospital that they told us? to go to which is like 10 minutes down the street or should we take the 30 minute ride to the hospital to the one that I like so as it would prevail Eric's like babe let's go to the hospital that you want to go to because we don't know what's going to happen let's just be at least in the hospital that you're comfortable with and so somehow we got to the hospital in like 15 20 minutes you know and so we got there and 
So my car is back at my doctor's office. I'm riding with Eric. We get there, we check in, um, and they're trying to put me in a wheelchair and things. And again, I'm totally oblivious to the fact that apparently I'm in labor. I'm like, I don't need a, a wheelchair. I can walk. I'm like shooing people away. I'm like, y'all are bothering me. I don't know why everybody's, you know, touching me, asking all these questions. Like I just, and again, I'm like, I'm just trying to go back to the office. I don't know what's going on. Long story short, they, I get in, I get into the room and they check me and they're like, hmm. Do you know when your water broke? I said, whose water broke? My water didn't break. I said, I have no water. My pants aren't wet. I don't remember any time where my pants were wet. So that's what I learned. And when everybody's water breaks, it can be totally different. It's not like in the movies. It's not like you're going to get wet or you're going to need a towel and things. So if you remember when I said I went to the bathroom at like 4 o'clock that morning and I felt a little like a release, like something kind of felt funny, but it wasn't any blood or whatever, it was a plug. So apparently my water broke that then, but I didn't put it all together. So now at the nurses, when they're checking me and things, so now I cannot articulate for them exactly when my water broke. And so, you know, after a number of hours, especially 24 hours, you know, they, they need to know how long, you know, the baby's been there without your water. So um, apparently I was almost um, five centimeters dilated, which is why my doctor told me to go to the hospital versus going back to my one o'clock meeting at work and had no idea didn't know my water broke didn't have any other cramps anything else like that so I'm sitting in the hospital bed saying hmm, if this is what labor's like it's all right you know I could have a glass of wine if I you know if we could at this time so I'm totally in la la land and fine talking to my family my family's from South Carolina so uh, you know, update them, talking to them. And I said, well, I guess, you know, my baby's coming sometime soon. I feel fine, though. And then give it about two, three hours later. Oh, it was a whole nother story. <laughs> it got real. And so I, um, um, it got real. Um, then I started realizing, you know, as you go further and further dilated, yeah, that's when you go into active labor. Yeah, there's a reason why it's called active labor. You know, you really go through the phases. And um, it was good up until then. Um, we had a change in the the staff, you know, um, the nurses and things. And each one that came in, I had a birth plan, didn't have it with me, <laughs> didn't have my notebook with me. So all the things that I prepared, I didn't have with me because again, this is almost six weeks before my due date. And so I didn't have that. I wasn't coming from home. You know, I hadn't eaten and tried to labor at home as long as I could before I got to the hospital. So all those plans that I had went out of the window. And so um, I realized then that I just have to go with the flow and accept where I am and what's happening and be okay with it and try to, um, have the best delivery that I can have with, with, without limitations of thinking that, oh, I didn't do this or I don't have this or, you know, I don't have my pretty birth plan that I have out in my notebook and all those sorts of things. Um, so um, reality said in a couple of hours after being in the hospital and for the most part, the nurses and the staff, they were great. They listened to me and I was able to share um, my desires and Eric was right there and he was able to be my advocate. Um, and I did make a decision to get an epidural and it seemed like that night shift um, I don't know what it was about that night shift, but then the nurses started moving much faster, didn't have enough time to talk with me, I felt like, um, as they did earlier during the day, so during the night shift. Uh, I don't know if it was less nurses on staff, I don't know if it was more patients, I don't know if more of us were um, in labor at that time, I don't know, but it just felt like it was a shift. And one of the um, reasons why I say I had a great pregnancy and the birth went well but I had some experiences while I was in the hospital that wasn't um, pleasing, that wasn't um, helpful <laughs> to a scared woman who is like grappling with the fact that she's having a baby early um, and things aren't going as planned. Um, and it was rough down to the point that when I um, got the epidural, was getting the epidural, I, um, you know, every story that you can think of about the epidural that I heard, you know, all the benefits and 
the advantages, disadvantages of having the Ecuador running through my head and they're prepping me and, um, you know, they're telling me, you know, put my arms this way. And um, the um, anesthesiologist wasn't in the room yet, but the, um, so I had a nurse that was on the left of me and the anesthesiologist tech or assistant um, was, you know, getting the supplies ready on the table. And she um, told my um, fiance, who was on the right side of my bed, told him, um, you need to move. And she said, just like that, you need to move. And he was like, oh, okay. So he moved to the other side of the bed. Um, and they're still, you know, have my gown or, you know, have my back, you know, telling me to roll my back, you know, preparing for the epidural. And so um, this is going on at the exact same time where she's telling him that he needs to move. And he did. He moved to the side, um, which is where he thought she was instructing him. And so he moved. And um, then she said, do you hear me? I said, you need to move. And so this time I look up and everybody's looking at her and Eric's like, I moved. Like, what do you, what is it? Like, what is it that you need me to do? Did you need me to do something or help? Like what? And she said, no, you're not listening. I'll call security on you and get you thrown out of here. And so at this point I'm like shaking. I'm like, what is going on? Like, why are you, you know, threatening to call security? And this one time Eric is upset and he's like, what are you talking about? You asked me to move, I move. And the nurse is like, okay, calm down, calm down everybody. Cause at this point, like I am moving, <laughs> you know, they had me prep and, you know, the anesthesiologist is coming in and they have, my arms are up as they're supposed to be positioned, but the, the tech is yelling at my fiance and this is going on. So I'm starting to move. And so the nurse is like, no, Bianca, you don't move. I'm like, but she's trying to throw Eric out. And Eric's like, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> so it's moments of chaos and it all could have been avoided if she had articulated what she really was asking because again this is six weeks early in my due date that particular weekend we were scheduled to finish our childbirth class and that's when we were going to go through the epidural, the epidural steps and those sorts of things and so we didn't know he didn't know that what she was really saying was while they're doing the epidural on Bianca, you don't, you can't be on this side of the room. You need to be all the way on the other side of the room. But she didn't say that. She didn't explain that. She just starts yelling at him and threatens to call security. And I have tears in my eyes and I'm shaking. And it's just a moment that of every fearful thought you already can have when you're about to get an epidural first time ever in your life and you're thinking about you know all of the horror stories you've heard about it and then on top of that you're now listening to a strange lady screaming at the top of her lungs to your fiance about to throw him out and it's only he is your support system there is nobody else in the room that you know because again this is six weeks early my family is still in South Carolina they're on the road but they're not there and so it was as um a fearful time that was exasperated by a hospital worker a trained professional who lacked professionalism and the ability to articulate clearly instruction to a family that she was helping. And it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Um, and then to top it off, um, she didn't even, she had um, the, she, she had on the table some tape. I am actually allergic to um, the white hospital surgical tape. Um, and so she had it in her hand and she was trying to put it on me as she's still like yelling at Eric. And so I'm moving cause I'm telling her like, I'm asking, and I start saying, why, why are you trying to put this tape on me? You know, that's, that's the surgical tape. Like I'm going to break out in blisters. And then she's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then Eric's like, you know, focus on Bianca, figure out what you need to do with her. Like you're not even you did you read her chart like we everybody because we made it very clear for every um shift to the nurses and things we went through the birth plan and we went through you know what i'm allergic to you know we had that conversation but again when this night shift came and when i was actually moving in through um, active labor the whole um dynamics not only of the team changed but then it was you know uh, magnified with the experience of this um anesthesiologist assistant or tech that was um not the best, not the best, not pleasing. Um, and so from there, I felt very, um, I was absolutely unnerved. <laughs> I was absolutely 
um, unsure of what was coming next. You know, my, um, the bubble that I had of, oh, this is fine. This is good. This, you know, great pregnancy. This is easy labor so far. Um, we can do this. You know, this is the best situation, best textbook story ever. It just all kind of crashed on me at that point in time. Um, and thankfully, the um, uh, anesthesiologist came in, you know, she was out actually outside the door, apparently talking to one of the other nurses and she heard all the commotion and the yelling. So the anesthesiologist came in and asked for the tech to leave and the an anesthesiologist um, actually took over the situation and told the tech that she wasn't allowed back into the room and they actually had to call another um, assistant to come and help the anesthesiologist. So that I applaud the anesthesiologist, who was a white lady, um, for her ability to, in a matter of seconds to try to pull it all together because it was a mess. I have tears, the nurses trying to keep my arms up and it, 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 was, it was an absolute mess. Um, and um, I don't know if that was um, a reason, you know, for why the um, tech or the assistant talked to us like that, talked to Eric like that. I don't know if she thought I don't know, you know, I don't know. I grapple with that, but I would say that um, as somebody who's in public health, as somebody who has managed clinics, as somebody who um, has taught cultural sensitivity and um, communication um, and community health, not only in the classroom, you know, the university level, but not only to um, providers, um, not only through some of the grants that I've worked on, but um, just the basic, training that's available for healthcare providers um the competency it absolutely was out the window and and being on the other end the receiving end of that after working in this area for so many number of years it was absolutely disheartening to know that this is 2018 you know it's an urban you know city area city hospital um one of the best hospitals in our area in 2018 and we still have situations like that where something as simple as communicating properly, respectfully, professionally with um, the family that you're giving care for um, wasn't honored. Um, so long story short, it ended up being a great um, delivery, um, about three pushes. Um, not even, I didn't have to do a, a, the whole fourth push. Um, my daughter, Alessandra, came right out, um, beautiful, healthy baby, um, even though she was a couple of weeks early. Um, so all is well at the end of the story, but it was a traumatic experience that um, prompted me to say, I have to do more with my doula world. I have to do more with helping other women to um, be one, know the processes of birth, know the steps of what they were going to go through, know uh, what they should expect, whether they're giving birth um, as planned or they're going in early, I have to do more to help others not have those frightful, fearful moments. Um, and so out of that, I um, took the banner of, instead of just doing it on my free time, part-time, when I have a few moments of um, supporting um, emotionally and physically other women through their pregnancies, but I um, really have been a full force with being a doula, and I founded um, Blooming Mamas uh, Wellness which is a nonprofit devoted to health promotion, health education, advocacy um, across the country. And so out of my misery, if you would call that, um, became my ministry. I formalized my ministry. And so my birth story, um, and now that I work with so many mothers and hear so many stories, um, is not unique. <laughs> it's definitely not unique in that um, many of us have, especially within African-American culture, have moments of trauma that's lasting and lingering um, if we don't know how to heal from it, if we don't know how to make sense of it, and if we don't know um, how to truly um, embrace it to figure out how to be stronger in the end. So that's my, that's my birth story. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, <clears throat> Thank you. Communication is mm -hmm. so important. And if that tech would have just slowed down and taken some extra steps to just explain what mm -hmm. they wanted, mm -hmm. no problem. Yeah. And like, you know, you said you grapple with what the reason is. Like, 
you know, whether you were having a bad day or it was, they were, you were short staffed, whatever, that's not my problem. When you walk right. into my room, check all of that at the door. You're in a new room. You're in a new space. You're in somebody's sacred birth space. Yeah. Yeah. Come ready to support me. Whoever yeah. you are entering that space. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. Not my problem, any of the other stuff you're dealing with. I'm here to have my baby. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. just, and I think, you know, you said like you and your fiance hadn't taken that part of the class or like epidural would have been explained. That's who, you are the anesthesiologist tech getting me prepared for this. Right. You right. need to be explaining to me. Yeah. You need to come under the assumption that I have no idea. Yeah. Like, Please help me help you. Yeah. Yeah. And believe it or not, the nurse was um, more helpful than the anesthesiologist tech. And when, like when I said, when the anesthesiologist finally got in, um, you know, she took over and she was helpful and very professional. But um, so it seemed like everybody else was definitely more aligned to how to be professional and how to be helpful. Um, so I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if it was a bad day she was having. I don't know. But um, that's not giving you don't give birth every day you know and so as a professional you got to remember and realize that whatever happens when these 12 hours 14 hours 25 hours whatever however that long the labor is uh, whatever happens that's the experience that you carry with you for the lifetime and so it's not a moment they can just say okay well let's just you know push the rewind button and we could do a redo no it it carries with me um And it's, yeah, it can have lasting, lasting impact. And so what I'm worth my doctorate, um, it is in, um, it is in counseling and specifically in traumatology, um, women's trauma. And the more that I uncover, the more that I peel back the layers of the onions, I see in so many different ways that how we as women, not only just in African-American community, um, but um, in all communities, but it's definitely um, magnified in the African-American community. It's just to the, the layers and the nuances and the degree of the trauma that um, many of us don't even know we have. That, yeah. That's big because um, it's something that people don't always even see as trauma. Just like you said, they don't yeah. even realize they've been traumatized or um, yeah. have the language to mm-hmm. match the feelings. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for you saying that because someone else might say, oh, she was just having a bad day. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't that bad. It could have been worse. I've mm-hmm. heard of worse, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't minimize what your experience was, how you felt, how your husband felt, how that carries on into you going into this postpartum period with a newborn, right. a premature newborn at that, like all that yeah. stuff starts to compound. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. thank you for saying that and, and letting women know that if you felt a certain way about something and it comes up in different spaces in your life, that's trauma, that's right? right? That's trauma right. is not getting hit by a Mack truck, right? That's, it's right. Like, that's not the only, that's right. like we always think of trauma as being way up here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how it has to be so um, exacerbated. So this big, huge, huge thing for us to call it trauma. Trauma mm-hmm. comes in the words. Trauma comes in interactions with other people that don't know us and don't respect right. our spaces. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Trauma has different classes and categories and different yes. looks and fields. And um, if you if you really think about it, the emotional trauma is the hardest one to heal from. Your body will heal. You know, the body is, a, is an amazing machine. It's a, a your body will heal. Your scars will heal. Um, you know, your wounds will heal. But those inner ones, those ones that are in a darker place, the ones that you may not be able to easily identify or understand how do you even get that wound there in the first place like those are the ones the hardest ones to heal and those are the ones that um, when you are pregnant and go like I said to go through the postpartum period those are the ones that will can fester and you don't even know why those are the ones that um, now I work with a lot of moms and um, when they get pregnant again then they are anxious and don't know why they're anxious or they don't know why they're uh, worried about um, you know, going through the deliveries because they still have trauma for the first one that they didn't process. They still have trauma from the first one that they didn't um, identify with and heal from. And so now they're on baby two or baby three and they're wondering why um, everyone seems to be harder and harder because they're carrying more and more on their shoulders without healing. Yeah, and it's crazy that um, 
you think of, you know, so much education, so much technology, so many advancements, especially, you know, in our country. Um, but at the same time, in some ways, we still have, uh, we're, we're just stood still in some ways, uh, whether it's through racism and through health disparities. And we look at our stats, you know, three or four more times, um, African-American women, you know, die through childbirth and others. And so when you put all that together, it's important to have um, an outlet such as this one, you know, that you all are offering this platform. It's important to have an outlet. It's important to have a network. It's important to have a way for women to connect with others that look like them and are of like minds in order to express and lean on each other um, to be able to say, you know, to realize you're not alone, you know, you're not alone. Um, you um, talking to family is good sometimes, talking to your husband, talking to your partner is good sometimes, but talking to another woman who has laid on the hospital bed with those fearful thoughts, um, only another woman who has similar experience there's a, there's a unique way that you can connect. And so it's important to have these outlets and platforms like the ones that you have. So I thank you for um, giving an opportunity for so many of us to be able to voice our um, experiences and to voice how we heal from them. And so um, if one of us is uplifted, uh, hopefully many more of us are uplifted. Yes. <laughs> you and Danielle just gave like a whole a sermon. It, I like, I just, I was over here like, just snap at him and all the, golly. Oh, I felt that. Oh, I felt that so deep. Um, before we get into um, your organization, can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit of what, how, what your postpartum looked like? Mm -hmm. So my postpartum, um, I would say definitely was, um, um, the best way to describe it was that it was fast <laughs> and it was um, healthy to the degree or to the point that I tried to do everything right. Eating right, you know, when I could exercise, I exercised. I tried to get, you know, my rest. You know, my mother came and um, stayed with us for a number of weeks, which was excellent. Um, I took 12 weeks off before I went back to work. Um, but I still say it was fast is because even 12 weeks wasn't enough for me. Um, even 12 weeks and before I even, you know, had my daughter, I already knew what my maternity plan was, my maternity leave. I had all those things set up. Um, but when you're in the moment, when you're in the experience, when you are dealing with the lack of sleep, when you're dealing with trying to learn how to breastfeed and to figure out how that works for you, you know, um, and I was one that I did breastfeed. Um, it wasn't um, as long as I wanted to, because when I went back to work, I had difficulty with maintaining it and things, but the postpartum phase, the postpartum period, that fourth trimester um, is still another time where things are a little bit out of your control. And for me as a type A person, that was hard. Um, it was hard for me to not know how I'm gonna get my next good sleep, <laughs> my good sleep versus, you know, my 30 minute cat naps and things like that. It was hard for me to not be in control of how, what my milk supply was going to be, you know, it, it, so those sorts of things, um, I think, um, it was hard. It was hard for me. It was harder than what I expected. And as a doula now, a lot of my, I majority of my clients are, um, I work with are in the postpartum phase for the very reason that I think, especially within our community, African American community, you know, people say, Oh, you had the baby. Oh, good. You know, then that was it. We don't really talk about what's, how's your world? What's it like? What are your needs during that fourth trimester, that postpartum phase? We don't really, it's just kind of glazed over. And believe it or not, you know, the baby, the deliveries come back a um, day or two in the hospital and in your home. Um, so that's a short stint compared to your daily life in transitioning um, with your new family, new infrastructure, new way of doing things, new patterns and all that. Um, that is the harder part 
I believe. And for me, it was definitely a harder part. And it was um, kind of floored me realizing that there's so many things that I wasn't prepared for in the postpartum phase that I had to deal with and learn how to deal with from healing, you know, physically. You know, I'm one, it's just my personality. I'm one, I'm ready to get up, I'm ready to go, you know, I'm ready to go outside and be out and about and active. And that wasn't healing, you know, that wasn't healthy. I'm one that I, um, I knew about postpartum depression, um, but I didn't know how unique it can be and the different faces of it. I was one that I um, had postpartum depression, but didn't didn't think that I had it um, because I didn't have negative thoughts about my child. I, you know, these are things that I automatically um, thought of when I thought about postpartum depression. You know, I was able to sleep when I wanted to sleep. I didn't have negative thoughts or bad thoughts. I didn't have frightful thoughts or anything like that. But I didn't realize that as part of postpartum depression, um, it could just look like anxiety. It can look like um, not having an appetite. And that was one of the things that I had. Like I wouldn't, I would go two days, you know, my mother was there, so she wouldn't let me. Um, but I, like, it was hard for me to eat. I didn't realize that, you know, I would have been fine going two, three days without eating just because that was how I was addressing things um, with postpartum. And so it was a period where I had to relearn not only myself and relearn what this means as to being, having a little one that's totally dependent upon me <laughs> for everything. Um, and relearn how I view things and how I'm going to operate and relearn how I need to change even something as simple as the schedule of my day to be able to address, um, you know, my new world and be a part of my new world. So the postpartum, I think uh, for me, it was fast and that I probably should have taken more time off from work than I did. Um, and in hindsight, um, I think it just would have been help, help it would have helped me um, um, would put a little more things in place, such as support system and those sorts of things. Because you know, Eric, he went back to work, like, probably, I think it was like four or five days, he went right back to work. And so um, my mom was there. Um, so if it wasn't for the grace of my mom, my mom being there, I would have had a, a much harder time. Um, but so medically, everything was okay for the most part. But um, uh, Emotionally, it was um, harder than I ever thought it was. It, it would it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is um, I think I had the superwoman syndrome, where you know again type A, you know I know how to run businesses. I know how to run a clinic. I can. <laughs> manage billions of dollars portfolio like I can't figure out how to get this baby to go to sleep like what like it was hard you know things that I'm used to you know having a team I need you to do this I need you to do that so get it planned let's go let's get things done and not being able to have things in my control I think was very hard um and not knowing even though my mother was in the house, I felt some kind of way about asking her for help all the time. I, it was hard for me. And I still, it's something I still work on today, but it was hard for me to ask for help. And as women and as African-American women, I think we put so much on ourselves because it's, it's, um, foreign concept. You know, even Eric was like, well, should we get a nanny? And I was like, what? Who needs a nanny? No, like, I don't want somebody else taking care of my baby. And so then that's a whole argument. He's like, I'm just offering, like, what do we need to do? But to me, it was, um, if I got a nanny, if I got help, then, and I, and I knew about doulas, you know, and all of that. And I am a doula, but I just felt, and it was me in that moment, in that situation, I had to let go of my ego and realize that I had, in order to be healthy, in order to help myself so I can be the best that I can help my daughter and help my family and be healthy, I had to let go of my ambitions of trying to do everything and be everything for everybody. And I needed to um, accept the help that's available to me from my network. And that was one of the things that I had to learn in my postpartum phase. Had I learned it earlier, it probably would have been more helpful, but I finally got it. I finally got it at the end postpartum is forever so you, know, mm -hmm. you, you got it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> uh, yes um 
So just thinking about um, all the resources and different things that helped you prepare and go through your pregnancy. And I know that it sparked a whole new um, vision for you and how you wanted to move forward with your own stuff. Tell us more about the Blooming Mama's Wellness then. It did. It did. Because um, again, you know, public health and, you know, I can rattle off some stats. I can write grants. I can do presentations and trainings, but it's something different when you're walking that path for your journey yourself. And um, for a number of years before I even knew officially what a doula was, I was a doula because um, I was the one that family and friends called on when they say, well, what about this hospital or what about this product for the baby? And I'll talk about ingredients. I'll talk about coconut oil versus some other thing, you know, so I've always been enthralled and a part of it. But after my pregnancy and after my labor experience and after what I've learned and grappled with myself, and the hardships that I had with trying to find other people who have similar stories or other people who I could reach out to, even when, so when I was ready to receive help, then it was kind of like, well, how do you pick a nanny? Well, what should I be asking when I interviewed a nanny? And then I think, you know, then talk to some family and some friends, girl, I saw this nanny episode on TV, on Dateline and this, you better not have nobody with you. So then I had to figure out, okay, well, what's the mindset that I need to have to be able to um, get to where I need to get to and being healthy. And so all of that put together and I said, well, if I'm grappling with this, I know others are grappling with this. And so that's really why I started Blooming Mama's Wellness in that I wanted to be at a place that provided education for us. I wanted to be a place that provided resources for us that were trusted resources that um, are vetted, you know, evidence-based recommendations, not just, you know, theory or not just, well, so-and-so down the street said this or that, you know, I want it to be a place where as a mother, as an expecting mom or a new mom could come to and get resources and get help, whether it's getting set up with a doula, whether it's, you know, going through childbirth education training classes that are offered. I want it to be a place where they can get comfort and helpful help that's convenient for you. But then also um, I want it to be able to help other doulas. I want to be able to help other doulas because I believe, you know, just me as one person, there's only so many moms I can help at one time. But if I can help another doula and another doula and another doula, then, you know, it's magnified, you know, that one doula can help five moms, one doula can help 10 moms, and it just magnifies, um, and it goes broader and deeper, faster, and so a big part of Blooming Mama's Wellness is um, two pieces. We have every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, at, we have a doula community chat. And then it's just that we get together and it can be on a given Friday, you know, 50, 100 plus um, doulas from across the world. We have from Australia, Canada, India, Germany. Um, then from coast to coast in the United States. And it's just that we get together, we talk about, you know, experiences, we talk about resources, we share information, we share um, stories, we share um, tidbits as to how to help ourselves as doulas, how to improve ourselves, how to be able to add skills to ourselves to be able to help um, moms and their families in whatever situations that we find ourselves in helping as doulas um, but then also um, we've also created a electronic platform it's a um, subscription-based platform for doulas um, who can't join you know every Friday at noon um, but if they are um, doing an overnight postpartum visit with the mom at three o'clock in the morning and they're trying to figure out what's the latest recommendation on breastfeeding this or that or what the good product you know that somebody should run out to the store and get so this platform that we've created, the um, Blooming Birth Workers Community, which is that membership-based platform, it has all sorts of resources in there. So at the fingertip, a doula can go in there and, again, find information that's trusted, that's been vetted, that they can use and implement and apply right there while they're, you know, working with the mom, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, it has training courses. Um, it has a job referral base um, network and referral base so you can find out about new jobs as doulas. Um, it's just everything uh, back, yeah, kind of net, uh, 
network, a backup doulas, relief doulas network. So, you know, as a doula, you want to make sure that you have a network of other doulas that you can lean on, that you can trust, that if you need help or you can't get to a client, there's somebody that you can call on to um, get there before you to help or when you have to leave to be able to support. So Blooming Mama's Wellness in a nutshell is really an organization that's just committed and dedicated to helping mothers have the best pregnancy um, and postpartum experiences that they can just from resources, um, from uh, information and from a helping hand, as well as help doulas be the best doula that they can so that we can maximize improving these health outcomes for moms across the world. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is a joy to do. Um, it's not easy. Um, but it absolutely is a joy to do. And it's a way that I'm able to take my passions that I've had for years and what I've been committed to anyway in my career in the federal space. But it's just a way that um, so many of us have been able to connect and to help more with. And so it's an honor to be able to have the, um, it's, to me, it's a ministry. It's a ministry. It's a labor of love. And it's an honor to be able to do it. And um, there's wonderful, wonderful um members in our community that are part of it we will make sure to have that in the show notes where people can get in that and be connected and yeah yes please. yeah yeah is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners resources anything else you want to leave them with from your birth well, anything <laughs> yeah yeah well there's two things one is just that you're never alone no matter where you are in your journey, um, you just found out you're pregnant or you um, are home now grappling in this pandemic uh, with how do you not be claustrophobic and climb the walls, you know, you're at home with a new baby. Um, wherever you are along the journey, you're not alone and there's help out there. So reach out, whether it's reaching out to me and to my community or to somebody else in your network, make sure you have a safe person or a network that you can reach out to if not um figure out how to build that because you're going to need that more and more throughout life and throughout this world and the changes that we're grappling with um there's tons of resources um if you go to uh, www.bloomingmamaswellness.com we always updating their resources um so never 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 feel like you're alone you're you're not alone and we can do this together Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your organization. Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me. I am honored to be here with you. And I, my prayer, my intention is that maybe somebody uh, was able to smile a little bit from hearing my story and knowing that you can get to the other side of it. Yes, receive that. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 